Hello and welcome to Adipod, a podcast by the Australian Taxpayers Alliance. I'm Emilio Garcia. Today, we sat down with some friends of the ATA to talk about the minimum wage and how it affects the economy. Enjoy the episode. So here we are once again at the ATA offices with uh, two great guests. Uh, do you guys want to introduce yourselves? Sure. Um, my name is Carl Katazzi. I'm the president of the HR Nichols Society. Fantastic. And I'm John Gray, the executive director of the very same society. I love it. And and who are you? <laughs> uh, just regular guy. O'Brien, executive director for the ATA. All right. And I direct nothing except this podcast. So the <laughs> That's first thing... The most important part. Yeah, yeah, I guess. At least, at least in this very moment, nowhere else. But what we want to talk about today is something that I think is has a great misconception all across society, which is something that people think is actually really helping people at the lower range of earning, or not society, but just earning and work potential. And that's the minimum wage. I think most people think, what a wonderful thing. This really protects people from being taken advantage of. You guys have a different point of view. Do you guys want to take it? Well, yeah, I mean, really, it does the exact opposite of, of what people think it does. Mm. Um, you know, there's, there's been literature on this for, for decades. We've known that the minimum wage hurts the poorest people in society. It's it's um, It tends to be quite racist in, in how it affects people. Uh, it, it affects the low-skilled, um, the, the unemployed, the disabled, all of these people that uh, the most hard hardest hit in society mm. are the ones that the minimum wage hits the hardest. And we, we know this, and yet continually we're having to talk about it. And as we are <laughs> doing here, we're talking about it. But yeah, it does. And it, it just hits the people that really can't afford to be hit. Got to remember, Australia now, as of the last couple of weeks, has the highest minimum wage in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've always been up the top there for a long period of time now. Right. Um, and, and I don't know if you travel much around the world, but you notice when you go to other countries um, how mechanised Australia is compared to other, other places in the world. So because of our very high minimum wages, um, Australian industry has sub- substituted labour for capital, mm. right? And that's not necessarily a bad thing in some respects, except that when you're that capital being chopped out of the market, then you don't have work. Right. So what do you do? You, you go on the dole. Or you have to find a way to upskill in order to be able to find that higher paid work. Right. Um, and that's easier said than done if you're, you know, an old, older person, harder to, to retrain, right. harder to get opportunities. Um, so yeah, the, the point is, and John's right, is the minimum wage, if it, if it achieved what it set out to do, then why wouldn't you just make the minimum wage a million dollars an hour? <laughs> right? Yeah. It obviously has a detrimental effect on employment. Mm. Um, so why do we have one? Well, that's what we're seeing right now in New York City, for example, and this is something that is that a lot of people are talking about in the last couple of days, that all of these places that tend to have low-skilled work, such as uh, hospitality, restaurants, and so on, are laying off huge amounts of people. And the people that they're keeping, they have on for less hours. And then the people that they are actually having on full-time, mm-hmm. they're putting tons of work on them because they need to compensate it, right? And so it's really working out better for no one. Well, we're actually finding this research coming out of New York and places like Seattle are actually mm-hmm. showing that the, the casual workers are taking home less each paycheck yeah. 
with a higher minimum wage. And it's because exactly that. Like, you know, we saw Bernie Sanders capping his staffers' hours <laughs> mm. so that they could have minimum wage. And that that's, a great story. I mean, just the, that, that's exactly what you have to do. Mm. Now, it's, it's, by the way, there is an economic basis. It's, it's called a lump of labour fallacy. It's the idea that there is a set amount of labour hours that exist in the economy right. and all you have to do is change the price on it or change the number of hours that can be worked and you spread that lump of labour around, right? right? It, it's been proven time after time after time to be that fallacy. Mm. Um, the French tried to um, bring in the 35-hour week. I don't know if you remember that in the 90s, um, which is similar. It's, it's like a minimum wage, but it's, it's cut. It's um, They get it by a different method um, and basically gave up on it. It didn't right. work. Um it's it never ever works and i don't understand why we continue to persist with the argument that we need to have high minimum wages well i mean i think it's it's just a political tool right so you say to to working class people and you say to to people that don't necessarily have prospects yeah well if you vote for us we'll just get you a wage that's far and above what you actually will ever get uh and they don't think of the long-term implications which is well i have no skill sets i've got no background i'm 17 years old what do I have to offer to a company other right. than my labor? Yeah. Um, they don't think of that because people are aspirational. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it, it, maybe I'm being a cynic, but it just seems to be, it's a political winner. Well, uh, and the result is unemployment. That's right. Yeah. yeah but, that's, that's and and then they go, oh, the economy sucks because young people aren't getting employed. Well, no, you've priced them out of, <laughs> out of contention. Right, my first right. job was cash in hand at a mechanics mm. workshop. I was getting less than $10 an hour. Yeah, and I, I cleaned, learned a skill. gutters, right. you yeah. know, in the, in the Perth summer. And I should say too, it also has a cultural impact. Mm. Um, we're so used to this now in Australia that, you know, we, we live our lives in a particular way and we don't really know the other way the world lives. Mm. Right. Um, I'm always amazed again when you go particularly places overseas and you see the large number of Filipino guest workers who, who work for people as domestic servants. Mm. And take, for example, uh, Hong Kong. They can work in Hong Kong for $5 an hour, um, basically, you know, cooking your meals, washing your clothes, um, ironing your clothes, cleaning your house, right. looking after your kids, the yeah. whole, the whole, the whole thing. And, and, you know, you talk about, um, uh, and here in Australia, you know, you have people who talk about, um, the, the gender pay gap. Well, you want to fix the gender pay gap. Women going to work because they have domestic help at home, mm. looking after the, the household and the kids enables them to, to get that work and continue to maintain their careers through childbearing years. So it doesn't affect their, their earnings potential. Yeah. But we don't we can't do that here because no one's going to bring in a Filipino guest worker on twenty five dollars an hour, <laughs> right? It doesn't doesn't pay you your time. You you'd be struggling to make enough money in the job you're doing to pay them off. Right. So and, and yeah. Australia I think also has a very strange set of these things. So just one thing after another and then we're wondering why things aren't working well. So you can really so if you if you choose to work and you want to get paid you must make at least eighteen dollars and whatever. So it's about twenty now. It's the, about twenty. Minimum yes. wage is almost $20. just under twenty dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so just under twenty. And that's the basic uh, national right. minimum wage. You award wages are higher than that. Wow. So if you're, say, for example, a, a, a fresh starter in the nursing industry, that might be right. twenty three dollars an hour. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, and that, that's the minimum, right? Yeah. If you want to work, yeah. that's as low as you can be paid. Yes. Unless you want to be paid nothing, in which case that's fine. If yeah, you, you can want, work for free. Wanna, if you just want to work for free, that's cool. But anywhere between. The government takes issue with well, and then we're going to take a part of that money that you're not making that much at the moment and we're going to put it in a special bank account that you can't access because we've decided that we know better also how to use money. your own money yeah, yeah. Right. And right. it just all stacks up on top of each other yeah and there's a weird scenario where if you're a small business owner you can work for less than minimum wage you can start your <laughs> business and struggle and do 14 mm-hmm. you know 
uh, hour days until you can get your business successful. And then as soon as you want to hire someone, well, you've got to pay them at least $20 an hour. Uh, and separate to that, like, look at the actual demographics of Australia. We're all on in, like, big town centres where, yeah, $20 an hour actually when you're factoring in $200, $250 a week to rent a room somewhere. Hmm. That makes things harder. But what if you live in my hometown of Cessnock? Or what if you live in Dubbo, where rent is actually relatively cheap uh, and there aren't as many job prospects out there? How's some 16-year-old kid who's left school that just wants to get out there and have a crack going to get a job somewhere? He's not. And he's just going to end up on a new start or on some other Mm. welfare-based program and just get stuck in a cycle. Right. I'll let you in a little secret. When I was a second year university student, 19 years ago now, um, I found a lawyer who said, you know, I can't pay the minimum wage, right? Um, not because I don't have money, but because you will basically be a useless sponge to me for the entire second year of your degree. Um, um, will you work for me for $5 an hour and keep your mouth shut, right? And I said, God's honest truth, you have, you have a deal. I'll work for you for five bucks an hour. I worked for him for $5 an hour for a whole year. Yes, I knew he was breaching. I could have turned around at the end of the employment relationship and said, you owe me all this money, right? I had an arrangement with him. And I learned so much more that year. And it, mm. it, it set me up, you know, largely in, in my legal career. Yeah. I thank him to this day for that opportunity. And I have no regrets about it whatsoever. Um, you know, why, why was that wrong? If, mm-hmm. why, what was wrong? What were you doing that was immoral? What, were, yeah. what was he doing that was immoral? Exactly. Well, it's two people saying, yes, this yeah. is the exchange that we're going to have. You're going to yeah. give me some of your time, and I'm going to give you money in return for that. It, yeah. It's a false dynamic that somehow the boss has power over you, which they don't. Oh, right. um, yeah, same thing. My first job, I had no skills. I left school in year 10. What was I going to do? So I worked in a mechanics workshop, and the guy mm. was like, I can't pay you any more than 10 bucks an hour cash in hand. Mm. So I broke the law in order to have an income. Right. Now, things are a lot better now, mm. but that's what I had to do. Right. Well, that, that's kind of the dynamic. You're generally going to start off making a small amount of money, yep. transition into making more money. And I think right now the way in which politicians are handling it is you need to be able to maintain a family of 12 or something making minimum wage, which, I mean, not only are very few people trying, it's not meant for that, right? So I want to transition now over to another topic, which I think is important when we talk about this, because I think it makes a lot of people anxious to think about this, even if they hear our arguments and they say they make sense, the thought of making minimum wage a thing of the past can get people antsy. They think that's going to that's gonna have some detrimental effects. So in the perfect world where there is no minimum wage, and mm-hmm. it's not like Sweden where the basically the, the lobbies have kind of, not the lobbies, the um, advocacy groups have kind of come together and set a minimum standard, even though it's not legal. How does that work? How does that? How do we handle that? And how do we make pe- sure people aren't taken advantage of? Well, it is it is a tough one, I think, mm. because I, I don't know that you can smash it overnight. It's not going to be an overnight solution. And indeed, I, I think culturally in Australia, it's almost impossible to fully remove the minimum wage. Mm. But you know, we could start to do things like, and we discussed this, Brian, a little earlier, um, removing the minimum wage in regional towns or perhaps lowering the minimum wage for different demographics or just making adjustments rather than just saying, hey, we're going to slash the minimum wage, that the public's not going to get on board with that. But and if you really say... Quick, sorry, demographics, you mean age, right? Sure, or, or skill sets or, gotcha. you know, it might be a 17, two 17-year-olds, but one of them has worked before. Mm. You know, gotcha. you might then lower the minimum wage a little bit for them, but more so for the other person who gotcha. has never worked. Mm. Uh, and, and so I think that the public would be 
more open to doing that, just incremental steps and just showing that actually if you, by lowering it, you're not actually doing harm to anyone. You're, you're o- opening up opportunities to people that are unemployed right now. Uh, so I think that's probably a good way of doing it. Well, if you held the minimum wage at no increase for the next 10 years, mm. it would effectively almost become a redundant issue. Right. Yeah. As in the building industry, for example, right? There is no one in the building industry getting paid $20 an hour. It's, it's a long way short of it, really? right? Uh, so, yeah. yeah. So when, when you in the building industry, I have a lot of clients in the building industry, when you, when you go to do um, uh, contracts or uh, enterprise agreements, you never have to really worry about the, the rates, you know, because everyone's getting $40 an hour. Gotcha. Right. So in a similar way, you know, you could get to a stage, mm. you leave the minimum wage at 20 bucks an hour, in 10 years' time, that's virtually being inflated into insignificance. That's that's one way. But the, I think another thing that's important to pick up, and like, you know, I'm, I'm a you know, classic free market. I, I don't believe the government should be involved in anything whatsoever. But if we're talking about politically, how do we transition to to get to a situation, right? Well, if the concern is that you'll have a, a large working poor, we can deal with that with, with welfare programs, whether it's tax credits for those who earn by a certain level, whether it's there's welfare assistance, um, all that. A lot of those programs already exist, but you can do even more for a person who's, say, earning on a, on a particular level. So it's not about, oh, well, now I'm going to have this, you know, um, underclass of people who, who are you know, earning five dollars an hour and and, uh, and and have no money to pay for and put food on their table. Right. So, um, and that's an interesting point to bring up, and it makes sense. But then we have cases such as very large companies like Walmart, for example, mm-hmm. that let's say they it's not so much that they underpay their employees, but they count on them going on welfare. So, I mean, how do you square those two? Because we don't necessarily want people to companies to get away with paying people less just so they can go on the door. Right. Well, I mean, the solution is to abolish welfare, isn't it? But, uh, you know, without being able to do that, the government can quite simply increase the tax-free threshold for those people. You know, that that is the the quickest, easiest solution that the government has control over. For anyone earning, say, between 5 and $15 an hour, you don't pay income tax whatsoever. That's the easiest solution. But it won't happen. Right. No, no, no. That um, that seems fair. Brian, do you want to jump in here? Yeah, I mean... uh, this goes back to actually, I think LDP policy was uh, your your income bracket up to about forty thousand. Forty thousand, yeah, no was income tax, tax. And then after mm. that, you had like sort of a flat bracket attached. Twenty percent flat, um, yeah, tax twenty percent after that. Uh, but that's one of those things. So you get governments turning around saying we're here to protect workers because we're going to give them a minimum wage, and our employment rates seem to always stay the same. They never go down. So there's clearly a percentage of people out there that potentially could have a job that don't. And there must be a reason for it. And the ones that are lucky enough to, to progress into a job, tax the shit out of them. Right. Well, <laughs> sorry, no. why? Right. But don't, don't, let's keep in mind, too, that the unemployment rate is a little bit deceptive because yes, it only includes it those who are looking for work. Yeah, what does that mean? Mm, right. Yeah. Right. There are, there's right. a, right, you walk into a supermarket on any Tuesday morning, right? And it's full of people, mm. right? And you're wondering, what are all these people doing in the supermarket, right? Why aren't they at work? Right. Um, who are these people? Right. right. Now, okay, yeah, there's some people have a day off, uh, you know, shift workers, whatever. I, I get that. Right. But a lot of them, you know, what is it? It's like a million Australians are on disability support pension. Right. Wow. They don't count any un- unemployment statistics. Yeah. You know? mm. So, I mean, that's a separate issue in which we can talk all day about. But, um, well, I think if you look at the youth unemployment rate as well, it's yeah. significantly higher than the federal unemployment rate. And that's. I mean, these are the people we're talking about helping. It's the youth, the unemployed, the the low-skilled, and removing the minimum wage would do that. Right. 
And not only that, but also the 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 super seems pretty harsh to kids. And they're saying, well, they're going to spend it badly. It's like, yeah, but they're kids. They're making less money than they're ever going to make. Why are we taking their money and putting it in savings now? Exactly. Right. And double taxing on fuel and taxing yeah. on alcohol and well, everything. Or well, stamp duty or a levy or anything like that. <clears throat> but, but but also, like, just, just on the unemployment figures, that's mm. a national average. Yeah. Right. Go to a regional town in Tasmania. Find out what the unemployment rates are there. What jobs are there for them? And then the only ones that do exist is a local cafe. And you go, you've got to pay that guy $20 an hour or don't pay him at all. Well... There has to be a give and take in between there. So I can have as many interns in this office as I want. They yeah. can volunteer their time and work for free. But the minute I the minute I go, hey, this intern's really good, I need to pay at least twenty dollars an hour. Right. And I need to then rely on my donors to be able to pitch in to pay, you know, thirty, forty thousand dollars a year just for one person. And you're incentivized to do part time too. Yeah. Because you would say maybe I can afford to pay them something because I, I I like. Come in two days a week. Yeah. Mm. It just makes that transition even harder. Now, what I want, I want to kind of shift gears and talk about something which might make this situation different. So a lot of people are talking about automation. Mm-hmm. And this is, going to do, this is going to disrupt the labor market. We're, we're, we're pretty sure. We're not exactly sure how or how severe it's going to be or how long it's going to last. But it's going to do something, and it's probably going to hit low-skilled people. Yeah. If you can start to automate uh, a lot of these processes, the simplest ones are the first ones to go. I think a lot of people would argue this is why we need it, but in fact, maybe the, the the reverse is true. If you have the minimum wage in place and it's high and all of those jobs start to be automated away, you're actually decreasing their employability. You're is that right? You're ensuring that they get replaced by a machine. Right. And more, they have more of an incentive right now to, um, to invest in that. So do you guys want to talk a little bit about that? Well, I, I just... As you were talking, I was just thinking of McDonald's, and um, you know, I don't know if we want to say product placement on the, uh, <laughs> yeah, McDonald's. Uh, I am they want to sponsor us. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll take that sweet <laughs> double quarter pounder with cheese, <laughs> exactly. extra pickles. Uh, but you, you look at McDonald's, and, and they've moved from having everyone at the cashier, the young kids at the cashier, to now having machines, and everyone goes to the machines, and you have one y- young kid at, at the cashier at the counter. I, I'm not a business owner, but if I were, I would much prefer to outlay to create robots that would last 10 to 20 years to do a job that I have to then pay someone a minimum wage to do. If if you remove that minimum wage, you know, let's say, for instance, I have $30 for wages. Well, I can hire one person, but perhaps I need three people. You know, right. let, me, let me hire three people at less than the minimum wage. Uh, and then there's jobs and I don't need to automate because I've, I've, well, it's like it's cost benefit really. And people prefer to talk to people. They don't like talking right. to robots. And so I've, there's always this concern that, um, we're going to replace people with robots anyway. And this mm. is why we need the minimum wages so that, you know, these people can, can make a living. But people do tend to like, to deal with humans, yeah, not robots. For sure. And and so it, you're right. It's the exact opposite is of what they want is what is happening right now, automation. Right. Well, what about the greeters? That's something that's a perfect example of a job that is completely unnecessary, but a company is willing to invest in yeah. just to make the customer experience better mm-hmm. is to have some, you know, some person at the front doing nothing other than saying hello to people. Yeah, and is that worth $20 an hour? Probably not, right? No, exactly. Maybe it's worth 8 if you're really investing in, in consumer experience. Yeah. Sure, you, you, ever, you ever stayed at a five-star hotel in a, in a um, third-world Asian country? And you, <laughs> the amount of people who are walking around in the lobby <laughs> greeting you, offering yeah. to carry things for you, just simply saying hello to you, and you're like, 
wow, um, it's because it, there's very little work for them otherwise, and, and there's very little low, low pay. And even yeah. if they're on three dollars an hour, <laughs> that's three dollars an hour better than what they would have been on. I, I, anyway, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. It, the natural state isn't you get money an hour. The natural state is you live on the street and you have no money. Um, well, and, poverty and just, is the base yeah, human condition. Yeah, poverty is the base human exactly. condition. And, and just on like automation, there's this. There is a bit of a cynicism around it. Like you've seen Andrew Yang, this Democrat ah. candidate, being like, mm. "It's going to destroy everyone, and you need a thousand dollars a month of government money, or we're all, you know, buggered." <laughs> well, that's sort of the same language that was being thrown around during the Industrial Revolution. Yeah. All these farmers are going to be screwed. Well, so smash the machines. So smash the machines, <laughs> right? So that might have happened to a select group of people, <clears throat> but overall, as a society, societies that industrialized benefited. I mean, yeah. look at America. It, yeah. it, it completely exploded. But it's, um, it's also important to know as well, a lot of the research doesn't show that there are job losses with automation. Mm-hmm. There are, the, sure, there will be job losses in particular in area. areas, but then to automate, you then have to create jobs for software engineers mm-hmm. and maintenance right. and you know people to clean them. And, and so the, the research actually doesn't show a mm-hmm. loss in jobs. Uh, it, in some instances, it shows an increase in jobs. So what we need to be looking at is not putting a minimum wage in to protect people or, or protecting people at the status quo. We need to be looking at future-proofing people and opening up opportunities to learn new new skills. Mm. Well, you've just described, John, is the, is the free market. Right. People, choose, <laughs> people, people choosing to allocate scarce oh, resources exactly. in, 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 the, in their lives. We're at the edge here here. Yeah. 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 We're talking about <laughs> a brand new product. We've solved it. I don't know if any of our uh, subscribers have heard of this before. It's called the invisible hand. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But um, I want to backtrack a little because we talked about Andrew Yang. Yeah. And here's the thing. Not that I'm a Yang supporter that I think... uh, 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 Well, you're Sanders supporter. uh, Yes, of course. (laughs) 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 Um, But what Yang, you know, Yang is giving the the $1,000 a month Mm. to everyone, kind of in addition to everything we have already. And I, I have heard people say that if we are going to have some kind of welfare state, and you've kind of alluded that it wouldn't necessarily be a detriment to, to have a welfare state. If all of these changes start to take place and automation does start to accelerate and we do see some kind of displacement, even even if long-term we have those jobs uh, recuperated, doesn't $1,000 a month or some equivalent in Australia directly to the person make some kind of sense if it replaces the welfare state? So the only question I'd have around that, which mm-hmm. is... You know, I'm a libertarian. I think that the welfare state should eventually go. But I agree with even what Ron Paul used to say, which is like, you can't just flick the switch now. You have societies that are ingrained into yeah. it. You've got to get to it eventually. Right. But the only question that I have, and no one seems to have asked Andrew Yang this, which I don't understand, is, okay, if everyone's getting $1,000 a month, then doesn't that make $1,000 a month worthless? Right? So, like, if everyone's yeah. walking around with a bar of gold, then a bar of gold is worth nothing. That's right. So... Yeah. I, I don't quite understand, and there are some libertarians who believe in a universal basic income mm. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and it, it's look, I'm not an economist, so Correct. it gets very weird for me. But doesn't the UBI um, uh, presuppose the abolition of other welfare programs? It does. It does. It, yes. Andrew Yang is not saying that though. He's no. just saying it's on top of it. However, what if what if you were able to rethink the UBI concept a little bit, and it's not universal. It's it's a welfare program. If you're poor, you get this money, but instead of instead of us giving you all these services around your property, you just get the money. Yeah. So it's it's interesting that you bring that up because as we speak, there is a study on exactly that in Finland. They are doing exactly that. Mm. Um, preliminary results were released, I, I think, late last year, early this year, and what it showed, and, what, and they did exactly that. So 
They had two groups. One was welfare as it stands and the other one was, here's, here's the same amount of money, but you don't have to report anything. You don't have to look for a job. You can just get that money without any, any um, conditions on it. And so the preliminary results... And, and the idea behind a UBI is that it incentivizes people to find work because right. then they don't have to worry about anything else. But the preliminary results, they were mixed, and I'm looking... Um, they're going to release the full results end of next year. But what it did show... So it didn't incentivize people to find work. Right. But what it did show was that people were happier and that mm-hmm. there were reduced costs through bureaucracy. So right. administrative costs were down. And so you were actually... The government was saving money right. while making people happier... But it wasn't incentivizing them to work. So mm. if that's the kind that's of problem, I don't know if it is a problem because mm. if that's the kind of um, if we can save costs, make people happier, we're we're actually better off than what we are with a welfare it's still system. Still a benefit. It's yeah. still a better. Benefit. It's better than it is before. We right. do want to incentivize people, which is why I throw around the the concept of maybe a compensatory income as opposed to a universal basic income. Because I think what they're doing. Correct me if I'm wrong. In Finland, it's here's enough money to live off. This is like you're above the line of poverty with this money and then you can do whatever you want on top of that, right? Yeah, and then it doesn't reduce. Yeah, Yeah. like do we want to give people enough money to live comfortably on for the rest of their life or should it be a welfare program that just doesn't let you fall into abject poverty but... But if you're not substituting other welfare programs for it, Mm. where's the money coming from? Additional taxes. So, so we're paying higher taxes to yeah. pay people to do nothing. It sounds like the dumbest thing... We're we're already spending it, right? But you're saying there'd be more then. You're just doing even more still. No, because it's not universal. It's just it's a welfare program only for the people yeah. that would currently be on welfare. Everyone else is working. If you make money, you, yeah. wouldn't, be rec- you wouldn't be receiving that money. So in, in, so instead of getting the doll, mm-hmm. they're receiving a flat universal amount. Not universal. Well, well, I'm sorry. Yeah. A, a, a flat amount. A yeah. flat amount. Yeah. Well, what's the difference between the dad and the doll? I don't understand. Well, so well, on the doll, services. you yeah, the, the services on the doll, you actually have to in Australia at least you have to show that you are finding a job. You have to prove oh, yeah. that you've got you know an interview this week, an interview that week. You actually have to do that, and so um, but it's the, very nominal. Though. Well, it is, but it, but it does actually show it creates a bureaucratic. It, it creates a group of bureaucrats that they don't have to process all process it. Yeah. They just go, do you qualify for this? Amount of yes, money. here's Here the money. Is. And if you waste yeah. it, that's on you. Exactly. There's oh. so few people in Australia receiving New Start allowance now. Mm. Mm. As I said, like ten percent of people receiving disability support pension, right? You, you, you don't. Why, if you really wanted to be a doll budget, why would you go on New Start? Yeah. Mm. You know, you okay. get some some guy to run over you so you can claim that you've got to bust a leak for the rest of your life. Mate, you don't even have to do that. I've, oh, got, no. I've got friends that I went to tape with who are on disability support, and oh yeah, they just you know they. Lied night blindness. In a, no, but they lied in a in a in a interview with a psychologist. Right. Well, I feel I feel like we're sort of getting down the rabbit hole there because yeah. we could. I mean, the disability system in this country right. is. I mean, my dad's worked in it for twenty five years. Mm-hmm. It's broken. But if we can go back to sort of the UBI, that the the issue I have with it is, I'm I'm perfectly happy to call it a UBI, give these people the money with no conditions. You know, make them happier, reduce bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. But the question mm-hmm. I have is. Where where are the lines? How do people get onto it? And then how do you get those people off it? Oh, right. That's that's sort of the question that's still up in the air. That right. yeah, that there, there are benefits to it, but then how do we transition those people to work? If the idea is that they get this money regardless of work, but then if they start earning two hundred thousand dollars a year, surely then so where where's the limit? Where's the line? And I don't know if anyone's yeah. answered it. I don't think they have, but I think it'd be interesting to, to, to look at because right now it's, it's such a, it's, it's kind of infuriating that you're seeing all of the government spending 
expenditure, and there's this great big bulk that says welfare, right. and we know that that's not going directly to making people's lives better. It's going to a bunch of people that are processing stuff on the back end yeah. and not actually benefiting the public. And people aren't incentivized to get off it in this country. So yeah, okay, you've got to prove that you're applying for a job if you're on Newstart or something like that, but that's just so that you keep it going. I've been on welfare. It sucks. Mm, you, yeah. Like, I didn't like the fact that I was, you know, not able to earn money for myself. Mm. Um, I got myself off it. But I know people that are just perfectly happy. They're on the system. They don't have to think about it. The money comes in. They're relatively comfortable because they've structured their affairs in a way that it suits them. Right. There's no real impetus from someone at Centrelink going, look, mate, this is a temporary thing. You need to actually try and get out there mm. and, you know, tackle some issues and, and better yourself. Now, I understand if you've got genuine disabilities and all... Yes, of course, there needs to be some kind of safety net for you. Right. But there are people out there, and it, it's become somehow shameful to even suggest that there are doll bludgers now. Oh, yeah. I yeah. remember, like, people say, look, there are people that are bludging on the welfare system, and they go, yeah, there are. But if you suggest that now, oh, how God. dare you? You're <laughs> shaming the poorest. No, I'm okay. shaming people that are actually taking money away from people that really need it. Yeah. You guys are too young to remember the Paxton family. That was a... A enormous um, current affair um, expose on a doll bludging family of the mid nineties, and mm. and uh, all of Australia took great delight in in um, let's say uh, welfare shaming them. Um, uh, and and uh, it's interesting. You're right, Brian. It's changed a lot in in uh, the last twenty years. Yeah, it's yeah. seen as this like you know capitalist attack on 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 the poor. And no, it's not. There are people on there that don't necessarily need to be on welfare, or if they are. Temporary until you find something. Well, that's also the attack that comes when you talk about removing the minimum wage. It's immediately an attack on the poor. And I think it's important to to state that the minimum wage isn't overall necessarily a a terrible thing for people who are already in low-paid work. Mm. It's a great thing. You know, they're getting more money in their pocket every single week. But... What when you when you say that the poorest are being affected here? It's that attack. Mm. So you know you you are you are uh, attacking the poorest in this society. You want you know you're a capitalist pig. You this <laughs> and that, but really it's it is the opposite. Right. Yeah. Yeah. For and sure. so how do we change the narrative on that? Yeah. We'll we'll have to have you back sometime to talk about how we talk change the narrative on that. <laughs> but for now, uh, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Adapod, a podcast by the Australian Taxpayers Alliance. If you care to know more about the ATA, visit their website, www.taxpayers.org, where you'll be able to see their mission statement, their projects, campaigns, objectives, and so much more. Remember, listening to the podcast is free, but creating it isn't. If you'd like to continue to see the Australian Taxpayers Alliance advocacy, please consider becoming a member or donating. You can do this on their website as well. This has been Adipod. We'll see you next time.